You may be seated. And right now, I, I know I owe an apology to Stephen and, and uh, Ruthann. Everything was out of whack this morning with the breakfast, and normally I have an order of service, one on the piano and one on Stephen's desk. And after when this last song started, since Ruthann didn't have an order of service, I saw the look on her face was like, where's that coming from? My apologies that I didn't, everything was just not normal this morning. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, oh, well, I don't think there was any doubt about that. <laughs> that was proved a long time ago. Anyhow, uh, Friday night we were here for a <coughs> Good Friday service. We joined with uh, Lakefield and uh, Calvary Bible from Engadine came. And I, I got a rough count because I'm sure that there were some little kids that I missed uh, sitting on parents' laps in there. Um, but we had between 85 and 90 people here Friday night uh, to, to um, remember, to remember the cross, to remember what Jesus did for us. Um, we had Kelly, and I, I mentioned that Friday night that it was always kind of risky because um, Kelly Carlson from Engadine preached for five to seven minutes on the cross of rejection. <coughs> Sorry, I am really scratchy this morning. That was too much singing for me, but I... It's Easter. you got to sing those songs, right? And I, I, I'm all over the charts, high and low, and I apologize for that, but I love, I love the singing. Um, Kelly preached on the cross of rejection. Remember last Sunday was Palm Sunday, where he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, which was a sign of peace. And the Jews were looking for war. They wanted to throw off the Romans. But he rode into town on a donkey, and they were shouting, Hosanna to the King of Kings. And by Friday, they were shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! So Kelly shared with us on the cross of rejection. And this, this was uh, Luke 23, and I believe that started in verse 26 is where Kelly, yeah, verse 26 is where Kelly started. Excuse me one second. this morning. Um, Richard Smith from, from Lakefield shared uh, the cross of confession, and I'm actually going to start in Luke chapter 23, verse 39, and this covers some of the verses that, that Richard spoke on, but um, I only got one verse, uh, verse 43, uh, but you gotta, you got to get the background to, to get to verse 43. So I'm going to start reading in Luke 23, verse 39. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today 
you shall be with me in paradise. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't have had the privilege or the experience of spending eternity in paradise if Christ had not forgiven him his sins. Night and day, black and white, sin and pureness. One, one expels the other. They, they don't both coexist. And the, the one prisoner, as he was hanging on the cross next to Christ, heard what Jesus was saying while he was hanging there. And before this, Jesus, there were, there were seven things that Jesus said on the cross. A couple of them happened after this. But one that happened before was, was Christ saying, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. How could someone say that hanging on a cross? With nails through their hands. Through their feet. And every time they need a breath, they have to push up on their feet so their ribcage can expand and get some air. And in that excruciating pain, Christ says, Father, forgive them. One of the thieves got, or one of the criminals got it. The other one didn't, unfortunately. He didn't get it. But the one that did witnessed to him as he was dying on the cross. Isn't that interesting? He wasn't baptized, he didn't have his church membership, he hadn't gone to Sunday school his whole life. And yet, as he's dying on the cross, He's witnessing to the other criminal about who Jesus is because he got it. While he was on that cross, his heart changed. It clicked. Do you not even fear God since you are under the same condemnation? Back in Leviticus, well, the whole book of Leviticus talks about the offerings that the, that the Jews would have to bring to the priest. And when the priest when, when received the proper offering and, and sacrificed it in the proper way on the altar, their sin was forgiven. And just a couple specific verses. If you want to, we won't take the time to turn there right now, but if you want to write them down, Leviticus 4, 26, chapter 5, verse 10. Or just two that, that very succinctly say, when they brought the proper offering, priests offered it. Their sins were forgiven. That's how it happened in the Old Testament. We'll come back to that a little bit later in this sermon about what it was like before Christ's death on the cross for us. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 5, since we're right there in Luke. You can keep your finger in chapter 23 or put a Bookmark in there or something because we'll be coming back to that frequently. But Luke chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 20. The story of the, the paralytic, paralytic man, his friends brought him to Jesus to be healed. And in verse 20, it says, And seeing their faith, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. This is what was driving the Pharisees nuts. 
was because they knew that only God had the ability to forgive sins. And yet here was this man telling people that their sins were forgiven. How could that be? Well, we know what the Pharisees thought of Jesus. They didn't take too kindly. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And we talked last Sunday that in, in the, the uh, prophecy of Daniel, I believe it's chapter 5, verse 12, that when back in Nehemiah's day, when Artaxerxes wrote the decrees to give him the right or the privilege, the, the authorization to go back and rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, that exactly 173,880 days later, Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And that prophecy was fulfilled, as we said last Sunday. How amazing and how precise is the Word of God. He knows what He's doing. That's why I always like to share that He has a plan for your life and mine, a very specific plan for each one of us. He loves us that much. As vast as the universe is, and we can't see the end of it yet as humans, as far as as God has, has made it and as large as it is, and on this one little speck called planet Earth, there were even tinier specks in the, the, the vastness of eternity. And yet God loves you so much that he has a plan for you. A very specific plan. He wants to prosper you. Because if he's your heavenly father, just as, as earthly parents, we love to see our children prosper. How much more does God, who made us, want to see us prosper for the glory of his name. But here he says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees get hung up on this. Uh, You find this story also in Mark chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 9. A few more pages over, we'll go uh, Luke 7. Luke 7 beginning in verse 36. Well, we're not going to read all of it, but it's 36 to 50. One of those Pharisees, and we know the Pharisees were always trying to trip up Jesus, but one of those Pharisees, Simon, invites Jesus into his house. And there's an immoral woman. I think it's interesting that she's hanging around Simon's house, but that's not addressed in this passage. comes, and while Jesus is at the table, she washes her feet with her tears and wipes his feet with her hair and pours perfume on him. And Simon's thinking in his head, well, if he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. He wouldn't be letting her do that. Verse 40. Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon replied, say it, teacher. 
A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 200 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them do you think will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one that he forgave more. And Jesus said to Simon, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, just in case you didn't think I knew who she was, Simon, her sins, which are many, are forgiven her. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. In other words, another, another instance where Simon is one of those Pharisees that are just really hung up on this thing where Jesus can forgive people their sins. And that they think he's, he's a blasphemous idiot. And in verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Psalm 51, 17. Go ahead and keep a finger in Luke. We'll be back. Psalm 51, 17. And, and this is kind of what the, the one thief on the cross was trying to point out to the other, the other criminal. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God you will not despise. Isaiah 66. Yes, Isaiah 66. Verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me and where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all of these things. Thus all of these things came into being, declares the Lord. Okay, did you, did you listen to what God is saying there? I, I have created, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the place I may rest? My hand has made all of these things. But he says, this one thing I will look at, this one thing, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Do you tremble at God's word? Do you tremble at God's word? He says, but to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit. To one who is broken who knows as that one criminal on the cross, hey dude over there, we deserve what we're getting. We, we, we are here because we earned it. He did nothing wrong. He should not be here. We deserve this. That's a broken and a contrite spirit. That's why God told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
because he acknowledged that Jesus was the Son of God. He understood what Jesus said when he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, why why the why the one criminal get it and the other one didn't? You're going to have to make a mental note to that because we're going to come back to that. I'm not going to tell you right now. You're going to have to stay tuned for the rest of the story. But the one that gets God's attention to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at his word. People, do you tremble at God's word? Do you get it? Do you know who he is? We should all tremble at his word. Because he is holy. And we are so far from holy. That we should tremble at his word. Okay, that's the introduction. Since you're right right there in the Old Testament, turn back with me to Psalm 32 if you would. This, this is where I concentrated my time Friday night with Psalm 32, 33, and 34. And I'm not going to read them as I did Friday night just for time's sake, but I will read and pull out some selected verses from that passage that I, I think are the reason that we want to look at that passage. I want to stay, stay, in, stay in Psalms there. I'm going to catch up with you in just a second. Right now I'm back in Luke chapter 23. And the other answered and rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God? Remember that phrase as, we, as I read through these Psalms. Do you not fear God? Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The, 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 this is the, these are the benefits of experiencing God's forgiveness. In chapter 33, it, it, it focuses on the, specifically on the joy. But in 32, we look at some of the, the life benefits of forgiveness, of having that fear of God so that we can experience uh, his, his forgiveness, so that we can have a broken and a contrite spirit, so that, that we will be humble, so that God will look upon us. And when he looks upon us, will he find us trembling at his word? Psalm 32, beginning in verse 1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The Lord's blessing. What else could you want on your life? Folks, if you don't have the Lord's blessing, you ain't got nothing. I think a double negative makes it right, doesn't it? If you don't have the Lord's blessing on your life, you got nothing. And how do you get his blessing? To know his forgiveness. To have a broken and a contrite heart. Verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, I tried to hide it. I didn't want everybody to know. My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever in the heat of summer. 
It's not a pretty picture. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. We're going to talk in a little bit about some fellows that were feeling pretty guilty about their actions. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Verse 7, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the songs of deliverance. Chapter 33, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. You know, when I, do that, I didn't do my smile check this morning. Look around and make sure everybody's got a smile on their face. At least that the muscles can go up, or they may not be smiling on the inside, but at least, you know, at least the muscles work that way. Sing for the joy in the Lord. Do you have the joy of the Lord in your heart? It's kind of hard to sing for joy if you don't got the joy. Get it. Sing for joy in the Lord, O oh, you righteous ones. Praise. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I, I always use, use that little quip. It says, uh, smile, it increases your face value, okay? If you want to increase your faith value, praise the Lord. Sing praises to him. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. It makes you look good. It makes you look better, and you probably, I know it, I know it, you feel better too. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. And, and that's sometimes all mine sounds like when I sing, but I'm trying to do it joyfully. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of loving kindness of the Lord. Verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Remember those angels singing on Easter sunrise or Easter morning in heaven, singing their awesome hallelujahs? Right there. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Down to verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Remember in that other verse? The one that gets his attention is the one that is humble and of a contrite spirit and one that trembles at his word. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. Verse 22, let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us. According as we have hoped in you. Chapter 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make it boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. 
For those who fear him, there is no want. Flip back to Luke. Luke 23, verse 40. The one criminal to the other. The other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Go ahead and stay in Luke. Back to Psalm 34. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him, there is no want. There are benefits to not living with guilt in our souls. We can have the joy of our Lord. We can exalt His name. We can pray His name. We can tremble at His word. And when we do, we don't have to live with the guilt of our sin. He will forgive your sins. His word says it. I believe it. Take it to the bank. God will forgive your sins. None of us are so great a sinner that He will not forgive us. On a little more personal level, okay, you know what I was saying? When we get to heaven, we'll sing those hallelujahs a little bit better than we did here today. Every one of us are pretty great sinners. Each and every one of us. There's not one that doesn't fall under that. But we can have the joy of his salvation. We fear him. We have a broken and a contrite spirit. And we tremble at his word. Then we can have the benefits of forgiveness. We can have the joy in our lives. We can have reason to shout hallelujah. What's that? What a savior. Amen. No, don't cover your don't don't cover your mouth. Don't apologize. Praise the Lord. If I wasn't so old, I might get up and run across the front row of pews. Somebody spoke up. Amen. I'd fall and break my neck and my legs and everything else. And then it'd hurt when I got up. If I could. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. That's my wish for each one of you. That's your heavenly Father's wish. That's why he sent his son. Because his son is part of the magnificent, very specific plan for you. That you might know him in the power of his resurrection. That you would know the power of his Holy Spirit living in and through you. But we can't live that way if there's sin in our lives. If there's guilt that we carry. The criminal got it. Don't you even fear God since you're under the same condemnation? Come on, man. Don't forget, I'm going to tell you why the difference. One did and one didn't. Don't let, I'm not going to let you go until I share that with you, all right? Okay. Now I'm looking at my notes. Now I actually am done with the introduction. Oh. 
that, that was the hard part preparing for Friday night. Seven minutes? Hmm. I'll try to read my notes. When I read my notes, I get through it a lot quicker. Okay? We're going to look at the disciples. Then I want to compare Judas and Peter. You heard me right. I said compare Judas and Peter. And then we'll see where time is and we'll see if we have time to look at the tabernacle. Thursday night. Sunday. Hosanna to the king. He's here to save us. He rides into town on his donkey. Thursday night, Friday, those same people are going to be shouting, crucify him. What? Are you kidding me? One of the songs that we, I think it was we sang Friday night, talks about hearing my mocking voice among those. I'd have done the same thing if I was there. I'd like to think better of myself, but I'd have done the same thing. Every piece, every piece of that week was part of God's plan. We talked about Nehemiah in Proverbs 21.1, where the king's heart is like a river, and it, and it goes back and forth wherever God wills it to go. God used the grip of God used Herod. God used those Pharisees to accomplish his plan. Satan thought it was all under his control. <laughs> Wrong answer, Satan. You lose. God wins. That doesn't excite anybody. God wins. Yeah. God wins. But he used all the players to get him exactly to where he needed to be because God's son had to die for our sins. He knew it from the day he was, well, from the, from the, the moment that Adam and Eve in the garden. He knew what was going to have to happen. Get back to reading, John. Here, I didn't even start reading, did I? Thursday night. They're having supper with the Lord. A few hours later, they're in the garden. Christ knows what's ahead of him in the next 24 hours. Although he's told the disciples several times, they don't have a clue. They should have. They should have had a clue of what was going to happen. But the wine was still on their breath. And the bread was still in their stomachs. One of his own disciples betrays him and kisses him in the garden. And all the disciples run. Panic and fear and insecurity set in. They were guilty. They turned their backs on the Savior. All the bravado, the declarations of faithfulness, broken and shattered at Gethsemane. Oh Lord, we'll fight for you, we'll go to the death with you. They were gone. 
His people shouted for his death. His disciple betrayed him with a kiss, and all the other disciples ran for their lives. Jesus looked at Peter and told Peter that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed. Peter, not me, Lord, not me, uh-uh, not me. And when Jesus was standing trial the third time the, the rooster crowed, his eye caught Peter's. What shame and guilt Peter felt. And guess what? That was only Friday morning. After the trials all through the night, into the morning, by nine, he's on the cross being crucified. At noon, the, the sky goes dark. But then, the story with our criminal happens and Jesus breathes his last. And as he breathes his last, the, the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom. That, that, that veil was about four to five inches thick of material. But just to make sure that, that people couldn't say that somebody had gotten in there and tore it, Christ, at his death, God tore it from the top down. Joseph and Nicodemus put his body in the grave. Saturday is probably the longest Sabbath most of those disciples ever experienced. Their teacher was gone. And they were guilty. They ran. They didn't stand up for him like they said they would. The disciples had been with him for three years and in one night, one moment. What do you think Peter's reaction was Saturday morning when he heard that rooster crow? And Sunday morning when he heard that rooster crow? The stabbing guilt in his heart. Let's shift our gaze to Judas and Peter. Judas the betrayer. Just from the practical sense of it, did he realize what a fool he looked like walking up and kissing Jesus in the garden? Because Jesus had already stepped forward when the soldiers came and said, we're looking for the Galilean, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus stepped forward and said, I am he. And then Judas came and kissed him. He went out and he hanged himself. He took his guilt and couldn't live with it. He took his guilt and, and, and took his sorrow down a very needless path to a needless act. 
And yet Peter, a few hours later, committed just as grievous a sin. Scripture says in Matthew, If you do not declare me before man, I will not declare you before the Father. And before man three times in a very short time, Peter said, Nope, don't know him, never saw him. Who, me? No, don't know him. I don't have anything to do with him. Thank goodness God forgives. Peter's sin was every bit as egregious as Judas's. But for some reason, Judas went down the needless path. And Peter's guilt led him to the grace of God. Why is that? Anybody falling off the front edge of their chair waiting for this? 2 Corinthians, turn with me. Second Corinthians seven ten. This this section, my well, most Bibles do have little tedding, headings for paragraphs and subjects, and and starting in verse two, this paragraph is entitled "The Heart of Paul." We're just going to look at verse ten. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. One criminal on the cross versus the other one. Judas went this way. Peter went this way. Peter had a fear of God. Peter had a broken and a contrite heart. Peter trembled at God's word. Judas did not. I would say the same about King David and King Saul. Saul did not have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. David did. Made all the difference of where they're spending eternity. Do you fear God? As the thief says, do you not even fear God 
Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, we are all under the condemnation of sin. We are all sinners. Every one of us are sinners. Do you fear God? Heaven help your soul if you don't. Quickly, the tent of the tabernacle for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness. And in the Holy of Holies, the high priest could go once a year to intercede for the people in direct presence of God. And when they moved in and took over Jerusalem, Solomon built the temple. They had the temple. It was destroyed in 586 by the Babylonians. This should start to sound familiar because then Zerubbabel came back and rebuilt it. And then Ezra came, and then Nehemiah. See where I'm going? Yeah. I'm going to give you some verses to write down to look up to dig deeper later, and I'm going to read some still. John 1.14, Christ is among us. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 3. We're right there in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. If you want to just write references down and let me read, that's fine. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You don't need the tabernacle tent wandering around the desert anymore. You don't need the the temple in Jerusalem. You are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God... God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. If you know Jesus Christ, you are a temple of the living God. Hebrews Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the only reason we have any right to be there is because of the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And you can go on down through verse 25 there. When the veil was torn in the temple, it took away that requirement for the Jews to have the high priest go in once a year. It gave direct access to the Holy of Holies to everyone that believes on Jesus Christ. Direct access to Him. We can pray when we want to. We can pray when we need to. He is always there for us. There are so many pieces to the week, starting with Palm Sunday and and the resurrection and after the resurrection. But one of my favorites is just that the veil was torn to give us direct access to the Father. That we can cry out, that we can cry. And His Holy Spirit will translate our cries 
if we can't even utter words because we're so broken. Write down, if you would, Colossians 2, 9 through 13. We are alive together with him because of forgiveness. We're, if, you, if you turn to Hebrews with me, you're close to the end of the Bible there. 1 John isn't too much further back. 1 John 2.12 I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Remember when Moses, God wanted to destroy the children of Israel because they had made a golden calf and were worshiping it? God said, I'm just going to wipe them out. Get out of the way, Moses. Moses said, Lord, don't do that. What will the nations around us say that you brought them out here just to kill them? That doesn't look good, God. The optics aren't real good there. Don't do it. Hold your wrath back. Do it because of your name. He forgives us for the honor and integrity of his name. That we can be free of guilt. That we can have that relationship with him. But it's for his name's sake. In closing, last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you want to read something outside of the, the Gospels on the resurrection, this is a good chapter. 1 Corinthians 15.55 O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me if you would and sing our last song today.